got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Kimiko Glenn reposted a TikTok video she made back in December 2020. It showed her opening what she claims is a foreign royalties check for the dozens of episodes she was on and being surprised at the grand total. Oh my God, I'm about to be so rich. <laughs> what? Okay, so first off, I just want to say, I get it. You get what? High school. Kamala. Kamala. Another adventure shirt. Cute. She thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. You were a weirdo. Boys. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of on my shirt. Sorry. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I have binge-watched the entire five-season of Kim's Convenience on Netflix. Hi, I'm producer Dave. No, I have not binge-watched Kim's Convenience. Um, in actual fact, my, my viewing this week has been pretty light, so uh, over to you. Oh, okay, so so here's, here's the thing. So Kim's Convenience, right? We, we had comedian Mac Larry come on, to, come on to the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, and one of the just just before we did the recording, I asked him what kind of t- what TV shows are you watching, what comedy TV shows are you watching, and he said he was watching. He just started watching Kim's Convenience, and I'd seen Kim's Convenience pop up on Netflix every now and again. I was thinking, you know what, it's my it's something I'll I'll watch later. I'll put it on the list. I put it on the proverbial list. And when I spoke with him, and he said, yeah, you know, I'm watching him three three or four episodes in. I was like, you know, I've seen it. It's got uh, Simu Simu Liu from uh, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings in it. Uh, and he's got a number of other people in it as well. But it's mainly a Canadian show. And, uh, and so not that many famous people. People that we've seen a lot of their stuff, uh, you know, and, and, and whatnot. Except for me, I've seen a lot of Canadian TV shows. So some of the faces, I recognize them. They popped up here and there. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to bump this one and put it on, take it off the list i'm doing that with air quotes and actually sit down and watch it and see what it's about and just before that episode i watched just before we did that recording i watched two episodes they were like 24 minutes and it was like this is really great this is really good and i talked about it on the show and then straight after that show i carried on watching watched about episode five and i was like all right i'm making this a family viewing and I got the rest of us to go back. And I went back and I watched from episode one all the way through. And boy, we the entire family was hooked. It, so much so it, it became a nightly nightly tradition. All of us would come and it was like, finish what we need to do, work, school, dinner, everything. And they were like, right, good, Kim's convenience. And we'd sit down and we'd watch like three to four episodes in a night. And in the space of two weeks, we've binge watched the entire five season run 
on Netflix. And I'm telling you, it is it is very light humor. It is just, it is fantastic. It is a great show. Everybody in it is pitch perfect. You've got the lead character, Paul Sung Hyung Lee, who plays uh, Mr. Kim. Uh, is it, so the, the whole idea, I mentioned this the last time we spoke, um, it is it's a sitcom, I guess, about this Korean family who run a convenience store in Toronto, in Canada. And it's it's Mr. Kim, his wife, his son, played by Simu Liu, Simu Liu, uh, and his daughter, and uh, played by Andrew Bang uh, and Janet. Uh, it is just, and it, it's fantastic. So Mr. Kim and his wife run the store. The daughter, Janet, helps out. The son is kind of like an outcast from the family, but not from the family, just because he's had an argument with the dad. And so he's moved out ages ago. He works in a car rental agency. So you get to see him and his, well, while he works at that location with those cast of characters, it is a great, great show. It is so underrated. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It is wonderful. It is the the the, the, the writing, the deftness of touch is just unbelievable. There are loads of issues that they discuss. It's not even issues, just things that pop up. The very first episode, the very first scene, it's two uh, two men come in. They want to put a poster for gay pride. Uh, on Mr. Kim's window, and Mr. Kim refuses, not because he's anti-pride uh, demonstrations or anything, but he has a problem with the poster. He says the poster is just they could do better, and he just you listen to that interaction. You're like, yes, I'm in. And I was trying to remember, and you you mentioned something just before we talked about this. Um, I I, I was trying to compare him to. Uh, the 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 um the the actor in the Karate Kid, uh, who you know who was uh in the Karate Kid. That's it. So I was trying to compare him with the karate actor in Karate Kid, and it was Mister yeah Mister Miyagi. That's it. So Mister Kim, Mister Miyagi played, and I couldn't remember his name. Is Pat Morita, because I, I remembered he was in Happy Days, and everybody remembers Pat Morita now as uh, Mister Miyagi. Honestly, if they were doing a remake where they wanted a Mr. Miyagi, this guy is your guy. Because uh, it just it was it's a brilliant TV show. Kim's Convenience on Netflix, five seasons, 24 minutes episode uh, episodes. Go check it out. Fantastic. Um now I I mentioned Karate Kid. Producer Dave, you had some news about Karate Kid. But yeah, um apparently there's gonna be a new Karate Kid um starring not only Ralph Macchio, but Jackie Chan, who I believe was in one of the later iterations of Karate Kid as Mr. Miyagi. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, so they did a, a kind of no, a reboot, I guess, is what it is, um, with Jackie Chan in oh. the Mr. Miyagi role, and it was Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith, yes, yes, uh, in, in in as the Ralph Macchio role. So. Uh, they what so they're doing a new karate because in on Netflix there is the TV series but it's Cobra Kai. Um, Cobra Kai that's it so it's the flip of you know making the 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 villains of the original Karate Kid movies now it's looking from that point of view and uh, there was like a whole meme thing going on the internet just before that came out that actually. Uh, Danny LaRusso is actually the villain of Karate Kid. And if you look he, from a particular perspective, which Cobra Kai nail, 
um, absolutely right because he is the villain in in a lot of things from from uh, from the Cobra Kai's from Johnny's point of view. Ralph comes in or or Daniel Daniel Lufo, he comes into town and white man privilege pretty much comes in and, and it starts causing loads of trouble. But uh, but yeah, so you said there's so it's now is this where is this going to be this this uh, new iteration of the Karate Kid? It's um it's just in the planning stage at the moment. They're looking for a new Karate Kid as we speak. However, um they're bringing in bringing um, the original star back and uniting him with uh, Jackie Chan. So there's a, oh, a bridge. Okay. There's that bridge between the two. And um, yeah, it looks like um, it's going to be, a, it's, I'm not sure if it's going to be a reboot because, <clears throat> um, no, from what I see, he's going to reprise his role as Dan- Daniel LaRusso. Yes, because in the, in the version with uh, Jackie Chan, he's not Mr. Miyagi, he's Mr. Han. And Jaden Smith is Dre Parker. So, right. so you're right. So it's a, it's going to be. A, it, it, they can still. They can. They can exist in the same universe mm-hmm. with the same actors and same characters and so on. So it's most like. I guess it's Netflix that's doing it. So they they're going to graduate from. They're going to merge, Karate Kid with Cobra Kai and the second Karate Kid, if you will. Well, that's funny, funny you say that as well because um, apparently Cobra Kai is coming back to Netflix and it's going to be oh. the final series it's going to end after the next series oh, I, I loved that show I, I i stopped halfway through the third season i need to go back and finish it off um because they brought back a whole bunch of people from the original um and and come to reprise their same roles in different type of like you know in, in from different lenses like villains become heroes and heroes become villains kind of situation um and i definitely i i, I definitely need to go back and and like finish off that that show um because it's a great show fantastic show but, but if uh, yeah if, you, if you've been watching it up to the third season you've only got another th- two seasons to catch up on before the final season starts because yeah it's only, it's only gonna be it's the sixth and final season it's enjoyable watching so so it's good um mm. yeah so and one other thing i've been watching i've only just started watching it it's on netflix as well it's called the night agent have you heard of it no, I haven't actually. No, it, it it's your it's your usual uh, conspiracy theory fair type stuff. So think twenty four. Um, was the the one with um Chris Pratt on Amazon and so on and at three days in the Condor that kind of stuff. Yeah, actually more three days in the Condor than the other two. But it, it is essentially it's a conspiracy theory type TV show. It's about this FBI officer. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, he he's he is he, he's on the train. This is the very first scene, um, so it's not not spoiling anything. Very first scene. He's on the train. He does the whole save the cat moment where he gets up for a woman and her child. They sit down, and because he's standing up, he gets to see someone shoving a backpack under the chair and walking off the tube. And so he goes and investigates and sees it's a bomb. He stops the train, throws the bomb out. It explodes, kills only one person. Where at first, you find um, all, mostly the people on the train would have died. Later on in the show, you find out how catastrophic that bomb would actually have been. But it keeps on going. And, and then you fast forward, I think, a year later. And he's now been relegated to the basement of the White House as what's called a night agent, where he's just basically sitting in this dark room at night, manning a phone that never rings in case 
FBI officers who are on special um, assignments are calling in for help. And what do you know? The phone rings. So that's how the show starts. It's it's very good. It, it, again, it's one of those ones, like I said, it's it's currently rated as number two um, top show in Netflix UK. So a lot of people are watching. It's been out for quite a while. Um, it's good. It's got some, some good talent in it, uh, recognizable faces. I'm enjoying it at the moment, but I, I know it's one of those ones where just like something like Three Days in the Condor, the TV version, not the not the Robert Redford film version. Uh, it's going to be one of those ones where it's it's good. I'll enjoy it. But in a year's time, I'd have forgotten that I watched it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, in the meantime, that's pretty much what I'm occupying my time with. Well, funny you say all that about this, uh, your description of it, because uh, it just reminded me of Slow Horses, to be quite honest. Oh, your... love Slow Horses. Yeah. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, 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 you didn't interrupt me. I, I just was saying it interrupted. Um, it just reminded me of Slow Horses, which I have not even watched. I know oh, you have, and you've, waxed, and you've waxed lyrical about it as well, but oh, your description sweet. just kind of jibed. I don't know why I forgot Slow Horses when I was... My brain, I, I, as, you, as you can probably tell from the sound of my voice, I am not... 100% healthy. <laughs> Luckily, we're not in the studio. Otherwise, I'd have been coughing and phlegming and a hive and whatnot throughout. Uh, but yeah, so I I don't know why Slow Horses didn't pop into my head. Slow Horses is a fantastic show on uh, Apple TV. Yes, a good comparison between the two of them. If anything, I'd say Slow Horses is better because the twists and everything else in Slow Horses and the character build and the acting far superior in slow horses compared to night agent maybe i'm only saying that because slow horses is british and uh night agent is american but either way you got gary oldman in in slow horses i mean come on he's just he, you, you can't just stop watching him do that character he, he's a chameleon in that role uh but yeah it's 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 a, that shows great great comparison I'd say Slow Horses is a better version of Night Agent. Night Agent is a is a budget version of Slow Horses. That's how I'd put it. But still, you know, I'll take uh, Tesco's Angel Cake over. You know, if 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 you don't have a brilliant baked birthday cake for me, I'll take Angel Cake any day of the week. So yeah, <laughs> I can't wait for it. it was, what season three or four of? of slow horses whatever the new season is supposed to be and it's supposed to be a new season coming up it should come up really quick i, I can't wait for it it's just it's it's a great show now that you said it i'm gonna go search to go see <laughs> you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. i'm producer dave and we have just been waxing lyrical about a number of shows that we've been watching and shows that are coming up but we're going to jump into our next segment which is film and tv news <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iaco. I'm producer Dave. And in our film and TV news segment today, uh, earlier this month, the SAG-AFTRA uh, uh, strike, if you've been following it, the actor strike in America uh, has basically, they've reached a negotiation where they've come to terms and they're now calling off their strike. Now you might be wondering, well, why are we talking about 
SAG after that. That's obviously an American, that's the American Actors Guild. Now, the reason why it's it, it sort of, yes, it is strictly for American actors, but it has a huge impact on the stuff that we watch. Hollywood produces easily. I mean, of, of course, there are other industries like uh, film industries like Bollywood and Nollywood and even the British film industry itself that are just as important, just as culturally important. But come on. I mean, I, I, I will say without even looking at any research, at least at the very least, 75 percent of the world of the of the world's population that consumes television and film content will be watching stuff from Hollywood as 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 lucrative as the other ones are some Bollywood and Nollywood are only profitable if you if you know the only reason why they rank up there is the whole moneyball aspect of film financing and stuff where they don't pay much for the films that they're creating and yet they have a, a huge fan base they will pay for it so that's the reason why it, when you look at the maths those two pretty much stack up against Hollywood but when we talk about cultural impact Hollywood is up there and as such the actor strike it, it is immense and one of the reasons why one one of the, the many reasons why that they were on strike was to do with compensation especially in streaming services uh two of the one in one in particular uh one show tv show in particular that sort of struck my attention uh, with regards to how unfairly streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime and so on and so forth are treating their their creatives, not just the actors, full-on creatives, all of them, the writers, directors, producers, the crew, and so on, is the idea of royalties. Now, if you're not if you're not familiar with the idea, the concept of royalties, I don't. I mean, if if you if you listen to this TV, to this to this show. I'm pretty sure you know what royalties are, but if you don't, just to explain for, just put it in very layman's terms because that's pretty much how I discuss everything. Royalties are basically payments that are made after the project has been made, um, carrying on depending on how successful that project is. Uh, years after, if that project is still being sold, the people who partook in that project are entitled or should be entitled to some some sort of compensation with the success of that particular project. There are various projects that don't obviously lend themselves to royalties, where if you make a film and nobody sees it after a year, then there's no real expectation of royalties. But then when we talk about big projects like, for example, Orange is the New Black or Suits, um, which two, two shows which went on for years, they were hugely successful, um, so much so that they became uh, cultural touch points. Uh, from for Netflix. I mean, Suits wasn't for Netflix, but Netflix did pick up on Suits and they have benefited immensely from that because Suits had about six or seven, maybe even eight seasons with great actors in it. Meghan Markle was was world, world renowned for that show before she met Prince Harry. Uh, but either way, those shows most absolutely if you were to look if netflix were to open up their books you would see how how much streaming had actually how, how many people had actually decided to consume and subscribe to netflix because of those two shows alone now the reason i'm bringing orange orange is the new black up as an example i don't know what happened with regards to the streaming rights for or the royalties for uh, suits but orange is the new black in particular uh one of the actresses on the show very popular actress uh, kimiko glenn she 
uh, she kind of hit, she went viral uh, a, a couple of years ago where she released a TikTok video that showed the royalties that she got from Orange is the New Black. And the, the, Kimiko Glenn, she she's, if you've watched, if you're uh, pretty Dave, did you ever watch Orange is the New Black? Um, I think I saw a few of the early episodes, yeah. Okay, so I watched Orange is the New Black. I really, really loved Orange is the New Black. Um, and so when I, uh, obviously she's she's a, she's a big character in it. She comes in, uh, and that's the thing with Orange is the New Black. It's a, it's a massive ensemble show. Right. So it's sort of it starts off focusing on one character. But as you carry on throughout the seasons, I think there are about seven seasons in total. You get to see, uh, you, you know, the, the storyline gets to focus on other characters in there and in this women women's prison. And it sort of expands. And you a lot of time is actually spent on a lot of the characters that are in there. So anyway, so so in, in a sense, it's a it's it's it was great. Huge cast. But it still was it known across the globe, right? So it was a, known across the globe for how popular it was on Netflix, gathering loads. And this was around the first time that Netflix really stepped up as a huge streaming service. Orange is the New Black was one of the first shows on there. And as such, that would have brought in millions of subscribers uh, onto the platform. Now, coming back to, Tim, uh, to Kimiko's post... Uh, she did a TikTok thing where she got, uh, you know, the receipts for her royalties from Orange is the New Black. And she kind of plays it off nicely, you know, comedically about how she's going to get rich and whatnot. And you scroll down to how many episodes she's done. And right at the bottom for the the fact that she's been she was on the show uh, for how many for, for, for eight, well, at, at least seven seasons because she came in later on. So at least seven seasons she was on the show. She was a well-known person. She got royalties of $27. So you can imagine that, you know, how lucrative the show itself has been for Netflix. And yet someone as a uh, huge an actress, huge a character on that show is getting royalties of $27 after years of being on that show and then she she did an interview afterwards and people were asking why did she think that was um uh, as, as why did it go as viral as it did and she explained uh that you know it's the expectation it's the sense of expectation that people get that actors you know once you're on tv you're you're, you're a million you're a millionaire right you're very very popular but that's not the case. It doesn't that that popularity yeah it may be the case you are popular for all the fans who watch the show but that doesn't really convert itself into the commercial side of things for yourself. Um, a lot of actors, in fact, there's, there was a stat that came out a few years ago, and I'll come back to the context for that stat, that a lot of actors on TV, uh, only about 1% to 5% of all actors don't have a second job. So all that, that's, look at it this way. Even, even if we expand that, let's say it's not even one to five, let's say it's 10% of actors don't have a second job. That means 90% of actors still have to have a second job to maintain their income. Now, that's that's huge. I know, obviously, it's not, you know, you can look at the context of the world, but we're not doing that because there are a lot of people who say, yeah, so what? I have three jobs to support my family. That's not what we're, we're not playing uh, the suffering Olympics here. We're talking about actors and what they're expected to do and what they what is expected of them the results of what's expected for of them and the compensation that is supposed to be due to these people and 
the fact that you would expect that some a show like and I'm you only using Orange is the New Black just as an example, but there are hundreds of thousands of different shows out there that net the streaming services lucrative contracts, lucrative amount of compensation and revenue, and yet the creatives that were working on that project don't get to see any of that. I heard uh, what this this is a this is a, a while ago. This was back in like 2019. I was speaking to a filmmaker who. Um, if I remember correctly, they had signed a deal with Netflix for a film of theirs that they had made. I'm not going to disclose the filmmaker because obviously I don't want to have any repercussions occur to that person. Person, great, huge talent. And they, I asked them, it's like, you know, you must be so jazzed that you're getting this uh, this deal with Netflix. And they said, in hindsight, they would have said no. However, they were so excited to go into a deal with Netflix because obviously Netflix is going to be a huge platform to be able to get their stuff. However, the moment they looked at the contract, they were locked in to the fact that they would get no revenue, no subsequent revenue, barring what they got in that initial deal. So Netflix would give them a flat fee and say, that's it. You're not getting anything else after this, no matter how successful your project is going to become. And it did actually make quite a, not a huge suspect, um, uh, success. It wasn't a huge success. However, for the type of film that it was in certain regions, it was massive. It was for what it did, for its budget, et cetera. Where if, for example, that was sold to another streaming service or if they had made if they had had a better deal or maybe if they were they had somebody who had more clout to be able to negotiate a better deal for them, they would be getting enough revenue from that that they wouldn't have to worry about all the, you know, what they'd spent and invested in their project. But they weren't. They weren't allowed that. Also, they weren't allowed viewing figures. For the project that they had that they had sold to Netflix, and that everybody knows this about Netflix, they keep that completely locked in. You don't get to know what the viewing figures are unless they want people to know. And the only reason why they would want people to know is in situations like you know Bird Box that breaks streaming uh, revenues, uh, no, um, sorry, streaming records, or Squid Game where it's like you know it's broken how many people have seen it in the first 24 hours of it being released, things like that. That's the only time they will ever release streaming numbers of that nature. But for smaller filmmakers, smaller creatives or small to medium creatives who don't have that sway, they go into these deals expecting at least some sort of compensation for the work that they've done. And there are people who argue that, well, you get paid. You know what you're supposed to do. You get paid up front. Why are you expecting anything else? Well, if, if you have a job, if, if imagine, imagine this, forget the film industry. Imagine you have a job. You're working nine to five. And I, I'm, I'm putting this in the nine to five sector and I, I obviously I know there's a lot of iniquity in other industries, so we're not touching that. If anybody wants to have a go at me, feel free to do so. Hit us on hashtag. It's all about the three way. Short, you know, it's all it's all about the three way. It's not it. I, I, we haven't used that hashtag in a long time, and I know I've been rambling for a bit, but either way, I'll come back to it in a second. <laughs> hit, hit us on shoot the breeze uh, on on X, which is at stb underscore resonance fm, or on Instagram at shoot the breeze show. And tell me how much you you dislike my rambling and whatnot. I don't care. I'm I'm going to put this context in nine to five scenario. You're working a nine to five job. You get paid your regular salary. That's fantastic. Your regular salary. You help that company hit various revenue targets that they've hit. Not even hit, exceed revenue targets. And then after a year, 
depending on your contract, more, more often than not, those people who are in 95 often expect either pay increases or at the very least bonuses for the fact that they help those companies reach those revenue targets, thus earning profits for the board or the shareholders for that particular company. If that company were to turn around and say, nope, we're not going to give you any bonuses, even though you work hard and you you, you put in you put in all the work, you know, all your creative juices, everything, you've energy, you've sacrificed time with your family to help us reach our revenue targets. And we're not going to show our appreciation by giving you your your uh, your bonus. We're just going to you're still getting paid, right? That that's what you are, you are still getting paid. How would you feel about that? Now transpose that into the creative industry. You have an actor or a writer or a crew person, a director, producer, all these people who give time, you know, they sacrifice time, effort, um, and sometimes lives as well. I mean, there's a documentary that just came out recently with the uh, stuntman that was that uh, was injured uh, in the Harry Potter movie. I can't remember which one it is. And Daniel Radcliffe is in the documentary. I'm yet to watch it. It's on, I, I can't remember which channel. I think it's on Sky, but it's, it's, it's out. So you get to, you, these people put themselves on the line, put their lives on the line sometimes for your entertainment or for the, for yeah, for your entertainment. You watch a film, you, you see these people do what they do and you enjoy it. It lifts your mood or it changes your mood or it influences your opinion of various things. Now you, the consumer, you don't really care about, you know, you saying that they get paid. The people who are streaming those films and those TV shows are getting paid far more than what the people who put huge effort into actually getting that work produced are getting paid and they're not compensating them. That's what the whole sag after um, strike was about, or at least, at least one of the uh, points that was raised. The other point was about AI, which is again, another thing that is incredibly ridiculous if you think about it. So the AI point in the sag after argument was that studios and, and streaming services, mainly studios, um, like you know Warner Brothers and Disney and all that stuff, they were trying to push the idea on contracts, especially for like background artists, just to start off with, uh, that they will hire them for like a day, a day or two. They will shoot them as if like film them, and they will get they they would then have those artists would then sign away their likeness rights so that those studios can use AI to regenerate their likeness as characters in future projects without any kind of compensation being made to those background artists. So imagine that. Imagine you're an extra looking to just get 50 bucks a day just to go in and shoot something on, I don't know, Gladiator 3, the, the, the uh, Marcus's Revenge. I don't know. I'm just spitting out an idea. And then they shoot you. They pay, they, they pay you to work for three days. You get paid 150 bucks for three days. And then fast forward three years down the line, you see six different movies come out and you see yourself in those six movies, all of them grossing tens of millions of dollars, right? How would you feel about that? You were in that movie. You didn't shoot that movie, but your likeness was taken and they used AI to generate your likeness and put that in the background of those movies because they didn't want to pay you. They still get that money, but you don't. So that's one of the points they were arguing about. They were arguing against the idea of studios being allowed to use AI to regenerate 
photos and likenesses of of background artists just to begin with because if it starts with the background artist it's going to move on to the main characters and all of a sudden you get ai uh bruce willis who has to retire now because he can't he can't perform due to health issues he's now doing a whole bunch of films but he his family his estate don't get compensated anyway I'm rambling for a long time. I just want it's because I've had this all, all this bottled in, and I've not really had a conversation about this because we were trying to wait to see what happened. And I'm in that mood where I've just been ranting. So I, either way, I'm glad that has that the uh, strike has been called off, mainly because the union were able to get um, what they wanted. They were able to get some of the things that they wanted. There's a full list of the details. You can go and research them of what they got. Suffice to say that they, from what was understood, they came out of that deal a lot better than what they had actually expected to get from the deal. And that's great for create, not just for actors, but for all creatives, because, you know, the, the money people, <clears throat> and this is, yeah, I'll, I'll try not to make this too personal, but the money people are there to try and make money, right? So they will use any kind of tactic to get you to work without paying you your just compensation. And so when they when you hear things like, oh, well, the, the actors or the creators, you were paid on the, on the first day. Yes, you were paid on the first day for work that you're doing that those people are now using to keep getting their own revenue, their own compensation, but not giving anything to you. That's not fair. You need to make that fair, and that's what they've done. Um, yeah, so Bruce, today I've been ranting for quite a while. You haven't really said much. What would you like to say about the situation? No, I, I, I listen to what you say. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you say. In actual fact, I agree with all of what you say. Let me just put that correctly. I agree with all of what you say. It's very, very important that, that the strike ends. Um, there are loads and loads of productions, not only in America that depend on the actors, but also around the world. Um, if they could, if they weren't able to go back to work in America, they weren't able to go to work in any of the other countries where they're filming content. So, for instance, even though it's finished um, and it's mostly based in this country, Ted Lasso is a good example. It has several American stars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they wouldn't have been able to come and do their, their jobs. So, therefore, all the people in this country who were in that show wouldn't have been able to work because the main star, who's American, part of SAG-AFTRA, wouldn't have been able to work. So that entire production comes to a standstill if, if it was going ahead anyway. Um, so the knock-on effect of the strike, it meant, it meant that films were also delayed. Some of the films that were due to be released this year weren't, aren't being released, not because they weren't finished or anything, but the strike meant that the actors could not promote them. So an example of that is Dune 2. That should have been re released already. It wasn't released because the actors couldn't promote it. So they pushed the release date to next year. Next year, there's going to be a lot of films coming out simply because of the actor strike. But there's also a logjam now of films that are supposed to have gone into production that haven't. So everything's been knocked back. People's livelihoods were all on hold, and it's it's just a good win for everyone. To be quite honest, that that strike is over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And part of part of the strike, one of the things about the strike that had that had an effect on movies 
not just the, the as you pointed out, some great films that have been held up, not just films, but TV shows like uh, Silo, for example. As soon as this, the uh, deal was um, was signed, the uh, I think it was the creator or the director, one of the directors of the TV show Silo, which is on Apple TV, uh, was pointing out how he's so happy that that deal has now been signed because now the cast and crew can go back to making season two. So they haven't even started with season two yet because of the strike. And then another knock-on effect, there was a um, there was a YouTuber, I can't remember which one, had pointed out about, because the Marvels has just come out and it is being touted as one of the, one of the biggest flops of the MCU, not just because of critical, uh, critical failure, but uh, commercial failure as well. Even though it is still racking up a lot of money, but it is not, it didn't reach the Captain Marvel level from the first one and i think it's it's rivaling ant-man quantumania and the youtuber had given the reason or one of the reasons as to the commercial failure was because of the marketing and the marketing had issues because because due to the strike actors weren't promoting their projects so that you had brie larson and the other uh, the, the names escape me uh imani Oh, I can't remember her name, who plays Kamala Khan. Uh, they, the three of them couldn't do the usual press tour leading up to the movie to be able to promote the movie. And then they signed the contract, and now the movie's been released. Not many people knew it was coming out. I didn't even know it was coming out until uh, I was I was so I was told, oh, so you're gonna go see the Marvels next week? And I was like, is it out next week? Like, yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Fair enough. Let me plan stuff. So because of that, because there's no marketing going on, movies and TV shows are uh, experiencing that hit. But I'm glad that it's over. Um, I'm glad SAG-AFTRA got what they wanted. Um, and, you know, I can't wait for new TV shows and films to get back into production and to start getting promoted so we can go and start watching some more stuff because... As we know, I don't have enough stuff to watch. See, I, and I, I say all of this stuff, and you know, I could, I could show. This is me now shooting myself in the foot. I could really show my uh, solidarity for those people who are arguing against the, the you know, the, the streaming services by canceling my subscription to those streaming services. But I'm like, <laughs> but you're I, right. But I, but I just started watching. <laughs> I, I just started watching the morning show on Apple TV, and it's it's actually all right. It's yeah, all... no, it's good. It's good. It's good. But it I'm going to go back to something you said just a moment ago. The Marvels, yes, which is out as a film at the moment. Um, I tried watching Miss Marvel. Yes. Oh, okay. I tried watching Miss Marvel. What did you think of it? All right. Okay. So here's from from the way you phrase what you said that you tried watching it, right? <laughs> I get it. I totally get where you know, where you're coming from. And I think I said this the last time when we spoke about Miss Marvel. Um, so watching Miss Marvel, as soon as I as soon as I put it on, I was like, I have no idea about this character. I didn't want to look any. I didn't want to look into her, her history at all. I wanted to go into it fresh, so I'm not surprised. Um, the show started and. I would say three minutes into the very first episode, I said to myself, I, I said, right, I know what this project is. I know what it's about. And now that I know what it's about, I'm in. Let's go. And the reason why I said that was because from the very, from the opening sequence of the very first episode, you can tell that this TV show 
is going to primarily be aimed at that um, preteen teenage female gap, right? So I'm not saying that it excludes everybody else. I'm saying that's the main target audience for this film. It's for uh, for girls between 11 and 15. That's the age range that you can watch it and you're like, this TV show is for me. And as soon as I clocked that in my head, I was like, okay, I've always said that inside me beats the heart of a teenage uh, American girl. So, you know, that's fine. I, I, I was there. I was like, I can access it. Good. There you go. Lock in. Let's go and watch the show. And I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed the show. Um, the actress who plays Kamala Khan, she's fantastic. Um, the supporting characters, the ones who play her family, they are great as well. Yes, it, with the storyline, when it starts to deal with the villains of the show, it kind of wobbles a bit. But I was like, you know what? I don't care. That's not what this is about. This is about, you know, it's about her and her family. She's coming into her own power. She's enjoying herself and, and so on. It was great. I really enjoyed it. The same way, and, and, and what it reminded me of as well, do you remember, um, uh, what, what was it? Oh, oh my goodness. Soundtrack to 16. I was about to, I was like, you know, by the Shakespeare sisters. Soundtrack yes, I do. Yes. That's what it reminded me of. I was watching Soundtrack to 16 and I'm like, I am in my, at that point I was pushing 40 and now crossing over to 40. I was watching that movie and I was like, okay, so this is not my experience because I'm not a 16-year-old anymore, but I get it. And I understand where the where the, the ladies are coming from with the film. And I, I was in, and I loved that movie. And if you haven't seen it, go and find Soundtrack to 16 from, you know, Shakespeare sisters, Hillary and Anne Elizabeth Shakespeare. <clears throat> I say that they, they are, they are in, in the next 10 years, they will be, uh, they will be known by everyone in the British film industry as being fantastic film directors. That was, the, that's their first film, really enjoyed it. That's the same kind of thing that I had when I watched that film compared to when I watched the series of Miss Marvel. Now, let's go to you. What were your thoughts on Miss Marvel? Um, I have to say I was a little bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit bored. Um, it opened up another question, but, um, I'll, I'll come back come back to that one later, but yeah, um, I managed to get myself through the first episode, but the second episode did not tempt me at all. Um, I, I don't know. I think it was the pacing for me. It wasn't there wasn't enough going on. I like the scene in the uh, well. If you haven't seen it, then I'm going to spoil the first episode, part of the first episode for you. The, the scene at the exhibition. I thought that was quite. I thought that was quite funny and hilarious. Yeah. Um, and I liked the interaction with the family. I thought that was kind of true to life. But I, I'm, I'm trying to be um, polite and not say it was crap. It wasn't. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't hey, crap. But it just. Bridget, if if you want to say, in your opinion. You thought the movie was the TV show was crap. No, I didn't think it was crap. I didn't think it was crap, but okay. it had had me close to thinking thinking it was crap. So that's the level it, as as it was. And then the second thing that came up, which occupied my mind for, through quite a lot of it, was what's the difference between a mutant and an, an inhuman? 
And I had to sit, okay. I was sitting there and work, trying to work out what the difference between an inhuman was and a mutant. Okay. And it boiled down to mutant born with the powers, inhuman comes across the powers by some device or what have you. Yeah, what's the what's the the not the terror stone? There is a there's a oh what is it? What is it called? There is a okay. So it it, it depends on okay okay. Here's the thing. Um, obviously because there's a comic book idea of you know there's a comic book Marvel and there's the MCU with the TV series etc. And so there is a clash between the between the two because obviously due to rights commercial rights and stuff where um you know the in the TV universe the film universe they didn't have access to the the mute you know the mcu the mutants if you will so no x-men no mutants in, the, in that nature even fantastic four only recently came back under disney which is why they're all being recycled into the, into the mcu and so that's why there was no real introduction of the mutants so now that disney is now acquiring every everything including soon netflix if, if they're not careful um they have now taken over the mutants and they're trying to bring them back into the fold now looking back going back a few years ago they tried to introduce mutants using the inhumans right um and that was basically through agents of shield and through the show inhumans the problem was they, they with with the film side of things MCU had a strong grip on their storylines. They knew what they were doing. On the TV side of things, it was a bit looser because they had things still everywhere, right? So you had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was one of the first TV shows that was going. They had Daredevil, Luke Cage, um, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones. They were on Netflix, you know. So they, they still doing their own thing, but kind of tied to the MCU. But then, you know, I don't know what whatever decisions got made, uh, you know, Disney decided, right, we're taking back our characters from Netflix. So they did a complete cl clean sweep, axed all of those Netflix shows. But then the CB, I think it was, this, is this CB? I think it's CBS that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was on. For some reason, I don't know why they couldn't fully reclaim that back or whatever. Can um, I correct you on that one? Sorry. AB, on. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was part of uh, ABC. ABC, and, yes, and ABC. The, the difference between the show and the movies was that uh, they were run by two separate departments within Disney. I, I did a bit of research in this. So Thank you. Even though, At least one of us is doing it. So, that's good. <laughs> so even so, um, they were tied to to the same sort of like production thing. Yes, yes. Two different that's departments. Why, that's why so, if, you, if, you, if you notice the first couple of seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they tied it to the movies, so that's right. Yeah, I think there was. I think the end of season two, or it, around the end of season two, was at the end of um, Thor: Dark World, and so on and so forth. So you get people, you know, coming in. You had Agent Maria Hill popping up. Even Nick Fury popped up at one point in Agents of Shield, um, and so you had that cross, uh, that that cross. But then there's a there's a there's a a point in time where. Obviously, there must have been a fight between the, the different divisions. And as such, the, the, the division that took Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were like, we're taking our ball and we're going home. And so what they had to do is because they still had characters that were already tied to, to the Marvel MCU, what they decided to do was make a, a, nice, a huge break where there was no way they could be crossing with the MCU. 
And this is spoilers for if anybody, if you haven't seen it, I'm just going to say this, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I really love that show. Great show. They did a massive time jump where they jumped way into the future, right? They went into the future so far that the MCU can't catch up anytime soon. And thus, they had the the, the way of saying, we don't need to worry about cross-contamination and whatnot because we're all the way over here. So it's it's kind of like with because of that, um, you know, it, it became a case of they had now severed themselves from the MCU. So they bringing in the Inhumans in their own manner, because they did bring in the Inhumans, right? You had people like um, Echo, not Echo. Um, oh, she's a main character, Daisy, Daisy, right? So she's an Inhuman. And, uh, and and just back to your original question, what's the difference between Inhumans and mutants? If you're looking at it in terms of how Marvel MCU are trying to put it, they're trying to put it where Inhumans are people who, yeah, they come into their power, but they come into their power because of an interaction with a particular substance. I can't remember what the the rock or the metal is, but they come into that in in into contact with that substance, and it changes them if a human if a regular human touches that device or that mineral they will die instantly but the inhuman instead gets their power whereas a mutant is different because a mutant will evolve and they, they have the gene and that gene will mutate and then be and give them their powers regardless of any uh outside interaction does that make sense it does make sense and this is why i'm trying to work out whether or not um, Kamala is an inhuman or a mutant. Well, they, they get, uh, I, I, again, I don't want to spoil, should we spoil, should we mention? Um, and it's a very, very tiny little thing because obviously, you know, it's at the very end, the spoilers for Miss Marvel, the very last episode of Miss Marvel, her friend, the, a scientist friend, says that she's been doing, he's been doing some research, he's been doing some, uh, he sent her blood work or whatever, I can't remember exactly I did it, but it came back and it's it showed a mutation in her gene. And then there's a little, you know, the 90s X-Men tune, little jingle. It plays as soon as he says that. So they are heavily leading into she is a mutant. Now, the, the recent MCU movies are bringing in Inhumans as well because there was that one season TV show called The Inhumans, which is about this group of, uh, of, the group of Inhumans who have their base on... Uh, on the moon and they're living on the moon completely separate from earth so that's why that that that's why they're there so they brought they they tried to make it that, that inhumans aren't yet on earth in that regards even though of course we had agents of shield showing that they're already on earth and so we won't go to that complex bit and they're bringing it into the mcu because in what is it in uh, dr strange uh, multiverse multiverse of madness yes and this is obviously this is a spoiler but people have already seen they put it in the advertising and whatnot uh when dr strange goes to earth six eight something or whatever um he comes across he comes across an inhuman and a mutant because you have on the illuminati um uh, council you had uh, Mr. Fantastic, you had a different version of uh, Captain Marvel, had a, had Captain Carter, you had Mordor, and you had um, Professor uh, X. Professor X and Black Bolt. So mm. Black Bolt is an inhuman, Professor X is, is a mutant, so, you know, they're bringing in both mutants and uh, inhumans into the MCU fold. 
So, you know, and also there's, again, Miss Marvel and the, the Marvels, again, this is word that's on the street. They're going to take that step even further to do a further introduction of characters into the fold. And as such, you get to see that. So in answer to your question, that's the difference between humans and mutants. And they are both being brought into the MCU. Did that sort of help things out? Kind of, but not quite. Um, there's still <laughs> more questions. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, well, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And I want to thank you all, those of you who have been listening to me rant. I, I, I did See, we talked about this before we did the show where we said we we're going to talk about the SAG after strike. And I was like, okay, we'll just comment it and talk some facts and then we'll move on to something else. I even had a list of top five Thanksgiving movies that we were going to talk about. Uh, but as soon as I started talking about the SAG after strike, I don't know what it was, but some fire got lit in me. And so I had to rant. So thank you all, those of you who've downloaded our podcast and listened to us on Resonance FM to listen to me rant about all that stuff. I'm glad uh, you were able to sacrifice some time. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. And I want to thank Resonance FM for not listening to me rant and talking about those people, the power people, the ones who have all the money, um, because they would cancel our show in a heartbeat. So, and I would be sad. And I would just be boring producer Dave with my favorite. <laughs> uh, but I want to thank you all very much for listening to us. And uh, keep on listening. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>